This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. I think the most relevant leaders, they get in the trenches and they identify the obstacles and the inhibitors that are keeping people from achieving their goals. That's speaker, author, and leadership expert, Ty Bennett, on this episode. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is your co-host, Larry Gates. Along with Armin Asadi. And we are so glad you're a part of this episode to put your faith to work and to bring your bold idea to life. We have... Ty Bennett joining us today on our podcast. And Armin and I just got off the phone with him and we just loved the exchange that we had because we're talking about something that is near and dear to Armin and my heart, and that is leadership. Relevant leadership. Relevant leadership. Come on, Larry. Come on. Yeah, bring it. <laughs> well, you might recognize Ty Bennett. He is a best-selling author of three books and the podcast host of the Relevant Leader podcast. He is also the founder of Leadership Inc. It's a speaking and training company with a mission to empower individuals and organizations to challenge their status quo. That's something we like doing, right, Armin? Absolutely. Cultivate exceptional relationships and compete in extraordinary ways. At the age of 21, Ty started a company with his brother, a direct sales business, and, and grew that to over $25 million before he ended up exiting that business and going on to found Leadership Inc. You are going to love what Ty has to say. And without any further ado, just want to welcome Ty Bennett to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Well, it's great to have you. And I always love talking to uh, leaders of leaders and leaders of influencers. Uh, leadership's a big thing for me. I know it is for Armin as well. So we always love talking to people who are, are out there trying to train the next generation of leaders to lead well. I see so many that don't. And I'm just curious if, if that's kind of the thing that you see as well. Tell us about that. So, you know, it's interesting. I see a mix, but uh, more often than not, I don't know if more often than not is the right phrase, but lots of times companies that bring me in to speak for their organizations, at least someone at near or at the top is on board with the principles of what I would view as sound leadership. And that's why they chose me to come in and, and talk about that. But it's interesting, the discrepancy sometimes once I come in, if I'm speaking to like the middle level management or whatever, to have those real conversations and see what's actually happening there other than what the perceived thought of, of how leadership is happening there. But yeah, I, I think there's always a lot of opportunity for improvement. And I, I think that unfortunately, you know, human nature is we default to, you know, some bad tendencies around leadership, unfortunately. And we get lazy or apathetic or, you know, power goes to our head or whatever the situation may be. And so hopefully I get a chance to remind people of, you know, powerful principles and the ways to lead that are going to influence people for good. And uh, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. I'm just curious, how often when you go in and you meet with the executive leaders of an organization at the top tier, and they talk about wanting to bring some leadership principles into the organization and better train their lower level management, do you find that when you talk to the lower level management, they point the finger back upstairs saying, you know, if, they, if they've got these issues with leadership too. 
do you find that that's systemic in most cultures or do you find that it's more that there are principles that need to just be driven throughout the organization? I think it's a little bit of both, but when it is an issue, it becomes very obvious very quickly, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it, it, it gets pointed out pretty quickly and, uh, and yeah, I think, you know, it's nice being the outsider because I don't have a dog in the fight and people tend to be pretty open with me about how they feel things are there. And so, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic to see the inner workings of how organizations run and if they're functioning really well or if they're not. And pointing fingers tends to go both ways pretty quickly when that's the case. Yeah, right. You center your whole leadership around relevant leadership. Now, describe what you mean by that. Well, so my background is as an entrepreneur. I'm young. I'm uh, 37 years old now. I built a successful business in my 20s. And and so I really think, you know, having run a couple companies and, and coming at it from that perspective, I want to talk about what's working in today's world, right? What is What are the leadership approaches that are going to be the most relevant and current and impactful ways to lead and to gain commitment of your people and to move an organization forward. And, and so, yeah, I, I want to, you know, and I host a podcast called the relevant leadership podcast. I want to have conversations around what's working today currently, uh, because I, I think that our world's constantly changing. We have a growing, you know, younger workforce technology changes. I mean, there's so many dynamics to that, but uh, I think we can't just rely on what's wor what worked in the 80s and the 90s and, and even in the early 2000s, we're in a different space. Well, what's so different? Well, I mean, just look at, for example, just the, the simple numbers around the younger workforce, millennials uh, kind of taking over a large percentage of that and even younger than them, they come at it with a different mindset, a different attitude. Uh, as a simple example, I talk to leaders a lot of times about the idea that people support what they help create. I think that's a solid leadership principle. The truth is, I think it was a solid leadership principle 50 years ago, but it wasn't necessary. And the reason it wasn't necessary is because there was a cultural understanding years ago that if you didn't hold a position of leadership, you probably didn't have a say. And, and we were okay with that. Like we just accepted that's what it was. But you know, the younger workforce, especially, they've grown up with social media. They've had a voice their whole life. They have a platform to speak and they expect to be part of the decision making process. They expect to have a say in things. And so leaders who embrace the idea that people support what they help create, who give their people a voice and allow them to contribute in earlier stages and not just at the point of implementation, I think they get a different level of ownership from their people. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of specific things around that, but, um, you know, one of those is the changing workforce for sure. Yeah. So the idea that the, that the younger audiences now have grown up with the idea that everybody can be a publisher by, you know, social <laughs> media platforms, right? So you, exactly. But, well, yeah. it's the power of the pen, right? So you now have individual powers of the pens. And, uh, and so what you're saying is because that's there, there's an expectation that's increased. It isn't so much that those contributions couldn't be had. It's just that now there's an expectation that they will be or should be addressed. Yeah, it's changed us psychologically, right? I mean, mm -hmm. social media and, and the advent of technology, it's, it's made us look at things differently because we have access where we didn't have access before. I think leaders who expect commitment at the point of implementation they're missing the boat. That's what it used to be, right? A leader would say, okay, here's what we're doing. Go do it. Go implement this. But I think you have to involve your people at the point of creation because of, of this psychological difference in how they approach things. 
Well, talk about the back edge of that sword too, because you consult with very large companies and we've read in the news about Google and other companies where the engineers are in revolt because they don't want to support some particular program that might fund, you know, that might, that might develop a technology that could be used in warfare or whatever. How do you rationalize uh, the leadership of what might be good for the organization versus those that, uh, that might have a, a differing view on whether that should be done or not? There's always specific instances that are going to come up in both directions. Um, and, and when I bring up this idea in front of audiences, I often will say, in say the pushback I get is, okay, the tie that sounds great, but it takes too long and there's other things that dynamics that can come into it. I'm not saying that every person needs to be involved in every decision in your company. That's just not feasible. It's not actionable. But I am asking the question, do your people feel heard? Do they feel like they're involved? Do they feel like they have a say and that they're listened to? Because I will show up differently when I know that my opinion matters and that my voice is heard. It's just human nature. Uh, And so I think that leaders who take the time to build those relationships, to really listen, to give their people a platform to speak, I think those things matter. That's an interesting uh, example that you bring up with with Google because yeah, you're going to have, uh, you know, I mean, opening that box of giving people more of a view and a say of what's happening also could, you know, sometimes feel like Pandora's box because more people are going to be involved in that. But I think for long-term sustainability and commitment and engagement of your people, I think it makes a lot of sense. Is the purpose behind this more of a recognition purpose or is it a value their input purpose? For me, I'm coming at it much more from a value, their input, and specifically where it came from is if you look at what I conducted a large survey asking leaders what they want from their people, and 76% of the leaders came back and said they want commitment out of their people, right? So we want engagement. We want to be fully present. We want them to be uh, committed in a huge way. And so I'm looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, what drives commitment? Because if that's the outcome that we're trying to, to create, how do we create it? And so uh, for me, it's, it's more of a, if I value their opinion, they show up in a better way. Hmm. Have you seen any research in terms of outcomes from getting uh, the employees involved and gaining their insights and input in terms of how much more or less committed they are? compared to the former? Yeah, most of it would be uh, more anecdotal at this stage, but I've worked with a lot of companies who I've seen implement processes. uh, As an example, USAA, uh, I worked with their mortgage division and their new president was with them for three years. His name was Winston. They brought him in from the outside and he implemented something that he called lunch with Winston. So twice a week, he would sit down with 10 different people on their team um, and they would cycle through different people and he would just sit and ask them, you know, I'm new here. I want to kind of a listening tour, if you will. Right. I want to know what what needs to be better, what needs to change. How do I how do we make this more efficient? If you were in my shoes, what would you do differently? So two years into that process, I watch Winston on stage share statistics that they had identified through lunch with Winston's 170 actionable items and 165 of those had been changed at that point and the others were in process. When I asked the audience how many have been involved with lunch and Winston in that group of leaders, 400 people in that division, every single one of them had had a sit down with their president and CEO of their division 
their performance levels were uh, off the charts. I mean, they were growing tremendously. So I, I it's more of an anecdotal uh look at it, but I, I think you can see the level of engagement and the loyalty and and the the commitment that that drives. Well, it would seem to make sense. So what I'm hearing from you is that a number one principle for relevant leaders is that they value the opinions of their team. What else are good practices of a relevant leader? One, I, I believe that fundamentally leaders who are very relevant in their people's lives and in, in, in the world, they recognize and value relationships and, and they prioritize those relationships. We're all busy, but they make an effort in that regard. I, I think fundamentally we're in the people business is how I kind of classify it. And so I think that's one of those things. Uh, I think they also, relevant leaders recognize that their job is to first add value and that value precedes influence. So they're always looking for ways to add value, which means that they're constantly trying to grow themselves and, and look for ways to, to bring value to the equation. Another thing that I think relevant leaders do is, uh, I think an old leadership paradigm has been that the leader's job is to motivate their people. And I think there's a place for motivation. I think it's an important thing, but it's easy to default to the idea that leadership is just motivational cheerleading. And if we just cheer our people on, they're going to go and do a great job. But I think the most relevant leaders, the most influential leaders, they get in the trenches and they identify the obstacles and the inhibitors that are keeping people from achieving their goals instead of just saying, go and achieve that goal, they, they jump in and they figure out how to make that goal attainable for their people. And so I think that a relevant leader is not just a leader who says, go and do it, but actually equips their people and makes them better and gives them the ability to do the job well. We could go through a list of a lot of things, but I think if fundamentally you are the type of leader that values people and relationships that you value giving them their opinion so that they're involved and engaged, that you bring value to the equation, meaning you're you're adding something to uh, the the equation and you're not just there based on title, but because you bring something special and that you help your people to grow and develop so that they can do their job extremely well, you become extremely relevant. Well, it sounds a lot like servant leadership is what you're describing. Yeah, I think so. I classify it as partner-based leadership. Uh, I, I'm a big believer in servant leadership. I think there's there's some dynamics in how we create partnerships that's a, that may be a little bit different, or part of that's you know somewhat wording differently, or or how I see the approach a little bit differently. But I, I definitely am a big believer in uh, the approach of of leading as a servant and 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 fundamentally leading like Christ. Mm -hmm. Love it. You just said something really catchy and tweetable. Not that I tweet. Um, you said <laughs> value precedes influence. Did I, did, am I repeating that correctly? Mm -hmm. You are, yes. All right. So that that's sticking with me. Um, one of the questions I have around that uh, little catchy tweetable is what does value look like from a corporate uh, standpoint, leadership to employee or middle management or whatever it might be? So I'll give you a cool example because uh, I think the answer to this is probably vast. It could look like a lot of different things. But I have a friend who actually had an incredible corporate career. He finished his career as the president of one of the one of seven regional divisions for a multi-billion-dollar publicly traded company. Uh, he was with that company for 20 years. When he first interviewed with that company, they were a startup. 
the chairman and now chairman, the one of the founders interviewed him. They loved him. They called him the next day and they said, Scott, I'd love to offer you a job, but we don't have the money to pay you right now. And Scott said, you know what? I just left my last job. I have a year's severance. I love what you're doing. I believe in it. I will come work for free and you pay me when you can. He showed up and he worked for about six or seven months before they could pay him. Uh, I'm not saying that Scott did not deserve every promotion or bonus or raise that he received moving from you know the entry-level position that he was in in 20 plus years later being the president of one of their regions. But if you were to step back as the owner of that company, the amount of loyalty you would have to somebody like that who understood that if I provide value, then I will grow my influence. Right? It's just a different mindset than what I had a conversation with a neighbor literally two days ago. We're standing outside and he was talking to me about a guy that works under him. He's a manager and uh, I've actually spoken for his company. And so he always kind of throws ideas off of me. And, and he said, I have this guy who I asked him to step up in certain areas. And he said, I'll only do that if you pay me more. Right. And that, that to me is the exact opposite mindset of, well, if you pay me, then I would show up and give more value. I think those that are really make an impact are those that know if I add value, I'm going to grow my influence and therefore I can make more money. Therefore I can have more impact. Mm -hmm. I I think we have to change the way we approach that. You know, I kind of want to challenge that just because uh, it creates controversy and, um, makes people listen more. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) go army. Um, so one of the things that I've, I've seen in the very specific cultures that I've been a part of professionally, and I'm not saying this is a general thing. Um, it, it was just general for my experience is the individuals that added the most, uh, value to the organization. Basically what I would see happen is that they would get the most demand of their time to do more and take more projects, they would never see a pay increase. Um, All they would see is that they're putting in several more hours than everyone else. And everyone else is kind of, you know, not not everyone else, but most of the colleagues that um, I saw these guys have, they, they would just kind of float and put in very minimal hours and everybody was getting paid the same and everyone's getting the same kind of recognition. So it almost felt like, and and I'm using their words, it feels like being the highest performer is, uh, it, it, it comes with a punishment, not a reward. Because they keep getting relied upon to do more. Yep, because the other people they can't rely on. Sometimes it feels like they're being taken advantage of and yeah. I suspect that you can find that everywhere. But I, I have an example, I can't a counter example, Armin, that, that I see all the time and I work with a lot of salespeople and I cannot find... I have yet in the 30 years of business consulting, I I throw this back to Ty and see if he's seen it. I've yet to see a revenue producer in a company not have influence. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. Because what the company values is is revenue production and they don't have to have a title, but they'll have influence. Right. And and I completely agree with that on the sales side. But once you get into, say, ministry or operations or project management or coding or whatever, you name it, right? All, all those things where it, it's not really easy to measure what the reward is for how diligent they are, or how well they do their job or whatever. Those are the people that I typically see see get uh, 
punishment versus reward more often than not. Uh, I can see the distinction in that because I think it's easier to track the revenue generating on the sales side, right? I think it is a little bit easier to see. Totally. Um, On on the other side, though, I think uh, a couple of thoughts around that. Unfortunately, I think some cultures that is the case, right? That your people aren't going to be given the credit they deserve or other people are going to take that credit or whatever it is. I think that being able to deliver value is an important thing. There's a reality to the fact of being able to communicate the value that you bring as as well, right? To be able to articulate, like, this is what I've been doing. This is how I've been doing it. And and because of that, I, I, I think, you know, I would like a raise. I'd like to be able to, to see other opportunities or to set certain boundaries of, you know, I'm working on this project, not that, that those are hard things to always navigate. And I think every culture is a little bit differently, but yeah, interesting points on both sides, because now if you step back out of it, uh, I mean, I, I don't disagree that that happens, but I also would double down on my theory that I feel like a better approach to life in general, for me to feel like I am living the way that I'm supposed to and serving the way that I'm supposed to and providing the value that I'm supposed to is to say, I'm going to give it, bring the best value that I can, right? I, I, I personally don't know how I would live with just the like giving up because of the culture that I'm in and going, uh, you know what, it doesn't help me get ahead. So I'm just going to slack off and not and just do the minimum. I, I'm just not wired that way. I would really struggle to, to be relegated to that fact. So I'd probably be looking elsewhere. <laughs> you know, in a ministry setting, as Larry Crabb once said, you know, you're really ministering if you feel like you're being treated as a servant. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good quote. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Well, I mean, let's take a moment and Give thanks where thanks are due. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody that's out there supporting this podcast so that it can exist, thank you because it would not exist without you. Oh, that is so true because this is a nonprofit endeavor. We don't make any income from it. Very nonprofit. <laughs> In fact, we, we uh, provide support to it. So we're so appreciative of your joining with us through your tax deductible contribution to make this show possible. And if you do want to support and keep this bad boy going, then just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate. Hey, um, let's pivot for a bit here, Ty. And I want to I talk about your personal story. <clears throat> You've built a uh, a very reputable international coaching, training, speaking business, and uh, and I'm just curious and ha- podcast and, po- and podcast. Come on, now, right Larry. on, right on. It's important and books as an author. Yes, Ty, talk about how you got into that. I mean, wh- where did you make that turn, and 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 how did your your faith as a man of faith? How did that impact your decision making? Yeah, I appreciate that, and I love that we can on this podcast in particular can talk uh, you know a little bit more openly about maybe the whole story. Uh, in terms of of how I would share that, so I grew up in a very Christian home. Uh, great parents who um, my father actually found Christianity in uh, in high school. He he grew up. He didn't grow up in a home with with any beliefs uh, around religion much at all. And and through good friends, uh, you know, found uh, his faith. And and because of that, I I was influenced in a really positive way by both my parents and. Uh, 
I've always been very entrepreneurial and really liked people. Uh, when I was 19, I went on a two-year mission for my church and went and uh, lived in Portugal for two years and taught people about Christ and um, and did a lot of service. And, and that had a lot of influence on me coming back specifically in a couple of areas. One, um, I recognized that I wanted to work in an area where I could have the most impact on people's lives. Um, and two, I had a lot of opportunities around leadership, uh, in that experience. And, and that was something that, uh, became a, a love and a passion for me. So my brother and I both were going to school studying entrepreneurship and decided to start a business on the side because that seemed to make sense. And uh, we, we built a business in direct sales that grew fairly rapidly. Um, we had ups and downs of building that just like everybody does. But um, overall built about a $25 million a year business in our 20s. And as our team grew, I found my role more and more was in speaking and training and coaching and developing. And, and that was what I loved to do. And so uh, as our business got to a point that we weren't day in and day out, I decided I was going to go and write a book and start speaking. And um, to be honest, I've always described it this way. I, me walking away, I, I eventually sold my half of the business to my brother, our, our first business, to pursue this passion of speaking and writing and training and um, podcasting and anything else in that arena. Uh, it probably wasn't the wisest financial decision initially for me. But the way I've always described it is it, it, it feels like this is what I'm supposed to do. To me, this is where my, my talents and my passion and my values all came together. And I felt like I could really make an impact. And, um, and as my wife and I you know, prayed about these decisions and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to pursue, this is where my heart always led me. And so... Uh, I wrote my first book in 2010 and started speaking and I've written four books now uh, over the last you know nine years and um, just having a blast. I speak about a hundred times a year to all sorts of different companies, organizations and associations and uh, it's been a really, really fun process. Well that I love that story because you described what was an inflection point uh, where you had to make a decision about going out on your own and starting this from really from scratch, right? Yeah. yeah. It's one of those, you know, having started a business before, I know what that feels like to like <laughs> to have an, an idea of, okay, this sounds great, but to walk away and start something new that, you know, actually I had an interesting conversation. I spoke in an event not too long ago with Robert Herjavec, who's on uh, Shark Tank. You guys know who he is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, super sharp guy. We sat at lunch before we both spoke and we were just getting to know each other. And he said, so you build a business in direct sales because that's a tough industry. And we kind of talked about it. And then he said, now what do you do? I said, I am a full-time speaker and author. And he goes, that's a tough industry. He goes, what are you going to do next? Politics? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> uh, no, probably not. But yeah, it just, it's where I felt like I was supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. So talk about that conversation you had with your wife. You know, you said this is the thing that's compelling to me. You know, you said it was your intersection of your talent, your passion, your values. Were you both equally committed and convinced that this was the jump you should take? Can I just point out something really quick? Yeah. Uh, I just want to point out the different maturity levels 
of this podcast. <laughs> you went straight to the wife and I did. how did that? And yeah. in my head, I was like, oh, tell me more about Robert. I want to have a groupie oh. moment with you. <laughs> so, anyways, done with my self-deprecating moment. Carry on, Ty. Robert was very quick, very sharp. I, I was really impressed with him. Super nice guy. So, um, you know, it was interesting. Um, we had kind of built our business, our previous business, to a point that I was, you would probably classify me as semi-retired. And so there was some hesitation on my wife's part because I was talking about like jumping in and working a lot more than I currently was, right? So that was just a change in kind of our family dynamic and culture, if you will. My wife was totally on board, loved the idea of of me um, writing and speaking, was always really supportive uh, she never really voiced concerns that like, I don't know if you can do it. Um, she was always positive in that regard. There was for both of us, there was kind of a hesitation, a little bit of a it was sadness in selling our half of the business, our previous business, because that had been our life for a decade. Right. And so there's relationships there that, you know, you still have, but you just don't have the closeness to, you don't maintain the same way. And, and there were some things that would change just, from that regard. And so, you know, my wife has been uh, one of the more, I think, supportive wives you could ever hope for. And I don't know that it's easy to be married to an entrepreneur, you know, <laughs> yeah. somebody that, uh, you know, because there's weeks that I work like crazy or I travel like crazy. And, and then there's, you know, but there's lots of freedoms that come with it too. Uh, but she's, uh, she, she was, she was on board to have those conversations and to explore it together. And, and that's one of the fun parts because I, I had started my business with my brother before I met my wife. Um, and he was my business partner. So she was involved to a point, but I had a business partner with my first business and, you know, now I don't. So having her, uh, as a sounding board and a little bit more, um, you know, a, a full engagement and understanding around my business now, it, it's a fun thing. Yeah. Well, as we start to wind down the program, I'm just kind of curious if you had to go back in time and talk to your younger self, hmm. what advice would you give young Ty as he's entering the work world and figuring things out for the first time? Um, lots of things come to mind when you say that. Uh, so uh, what comes for me, what, what comes to mind more are like some of the things that took me longer than I wish they had, right? Mm-hmm. So if I could speed up the learning curve for myself, uh, one of those lessons, and it's funny because this is what I, I preach about now, I talk about all the time, is, is one of those lessons, it took me a while to really understand that influence is not about you, it's about other people. And there were a lot of things that I, in the way I said things, in the way I thought about things, in the way I approached relationships, that I was pretty self-centered. And if I could teach myself earlier on to be more focused on others and to be outer directed in my thought process, my communication, my actions, I think that would have helped me much quicker. I would encourage me to, uh, at a younger age, to get into more self-development. I got there, and that's become a huge part of my life. But to read, to you know, podcast didn't exist back then. But you know, to listen to podcasts, to to really dive into areas that I could learn. That's been such a huge part of my development. And it took me several years to kind of get into that and really make that a habit and something that I was working on. 
Um, those are two things that come to mind. There's probably a huge list, but... You know, if you just did those two, I think if most people just had an intentional plan for how they're going to find ways to serve others and, and also to serve themselves by developing themselves. I mean, you got most of the ground covered, I think, just in those two. That's really brilliant. <laughs> well, they're pretty all-encompassing, right? I mean, there's lots of nuance of, of little things. But yeah, that, that one for me, I mean, I can think of specific relationships, like very important business relationships that I ruined because I was a little too cocky and a little too self-centered at a young age as, a, as an entrepreneur. Uh, and so really shifting that and understanding that quicker would have helped. Yeah, that was one of the things you led the interview off with was how important relationships are, and that's what a, is, defines a relevant leader. That's really good. What's your next bold idea as you look forward to this coming year? So I'm currently writing a book. Uh, the working title is Leader of Leaders, uh, and it's it's really a, a guide on how a leader can develop leadership on his team. How can you move your people forward and empower them? And so that hopefully is is the next uh, you know big idea I can put out there and uh, bold idea that will, I'm hoping will you know be well received and make an impact for a lot of people. Well, judge judging from the popularity of your previous writings, I'm guessing that uh, that won't be much of a problem. And given uh, all the experience that you've had and just uh, training leaders, and I'm looking forward to to seeing that when it comes out. How can our listeners get in contact with you? You know, you can find me at Ty Bennett virtually anywhere, social media, you know, podcasts, that kind of thing. Uh, we did set up a specific page for your listeners at tybennett.com forward slash bold idea. They can get uh, some gifts and things on there if they want to do that. So yeah, tybennett.com or tybennett on social media or the Relevant Leadership Podcast. That's great. Well, Ty, I want to thank you so much for being on the program. This is a delightful conversation. I know we could extend this uh, much longer and even extract more benefit from it, but we probably have to draw to a close and just say thank you again for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. And let us know how we can help with your podcast too. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. This was fun. Okay, Armin, Ty Bennett, enjoyed uh, chatting with him. I kind of feel like we could have talked for quite a while. Um, well, he is on a very interesting topic. I like to debate it. He has good information. It's something he spent a lot of time uh, researching and writing about. And it's a topic that you and I are uh, somewhat obsessed with. So oh, we are. Yeah. We can, can nerd out on this. We can nerd out on this. <laughs> so I imagine we can go for a while. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, you cracked me up when you, you you pointed out my my interest was to, to figure out what his most important person in his life had to say. And you're just... <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about this shark guy. <laughs> exactly. God. Yeah, that's funny. Anyway, I, you know, what I enjoyed about uh, the conversation was that, you know, he's, he's getting right down into the, the fuel that makes business or anything tick. If you don't have good, solid leadership and it really starts with you. Yeah. I think the whole idea of finger pointing and all the rest get back to, you know, what what is your role in that? Even if you yeah. are in an organization where leadership is not exactly what it could be or should be, and it's certainly not relevant by the standards that uh, Ty is talking about. I think the things that he's saying here are something that even if you're in that situation, you can still apply to yourself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's no arguing that. 
Yeah, and I think all the things that he talked about, I think, you know, I would see that being an outflowing of who we are as believers. We believe in co-creating. God co-creates with us. He said that in, in the very first chapter of Genesis that, mm. that we are co-creators with him. Mm. He didn't send rain. Actually, it's the second chapter of Genesis. Hmm. He, he hadn't sent rain. There was nothing had grown because he hadn't sent rain and he hadn't sent man to work hmm. the ground. So that says right, right from the very beginning that God's idea hmm. and his idea of leadership is to do the very thing that he said. You know, uh, people support what they help create. Yeah. And wow. I think God did that very thing in Genesis where he said, hey, nothing grew up because I didn't send rain and there wasn't a man to work the ground. So until yeah. those two things are in place... <laughs> we're not creating anything. Yeah. You know, nothing's going to grow. And so if we want to grow our organizations, we've got to do that together. Right. And I think that's good. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's solid. <laughs> it is. It's solid. And, you know, there's something in there that I think we can always work on mm. uh, because there's something about our ego that wants us to get credit for things. Mm. And, and not involve other people. And there's also, you know, you hear it a lot about, especially around the idea of delegation. You know, you can get empower people to do other things, mm -hmm. but delegation really doesn't happen until you allow them to make their contribution without you feeling you need to run interference on it. Yeah. You know, and, and allow them to get the credit for it. Right. Which doesn't happen often. No, it doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't at all. But the blame happens often. Yeah. And you know, sometimes it's so hard for us to delegate something because we, you know, we say to ourselves, well, I can do, do it, it faster. faster. Right. Which is another way or of better. just, well, that's what I was just going to say. It's another way of saying the only thing that is right is when I see things through my lens and my lens must be right, you know, mm -hmm. because that's, our ego yeah. that wants to say, hey, that's the way it ought to be. Yep. And I think a lot of the reasons why we don't want to engage with others on our team and have them co-create with us is because we're afraid of what that might do to our contribution. Right. And how much it might diminish your value or your security you or your position you or go. your, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. Now, as believers, we ought to be most confident in that. We ought to say, hey, it isn't a question of how much approval I get from you or how much recognition I get from you because I don't work for you. I work for the audience of one. Hmm. And that is who I serve. And I'm not even serving myself. Yeah, You know, that's who I serve. I serve the audience of one. And so if we're going to take this idea of relevant leadership, it all comes right down to this idea that we do it not because we're trying to gain something. We're not yeah. trying to gain anything for our ego we're trying to do it because that's what God called us to do. That's the yeah. kind of way that he, he wants us to live as servant leaders. No, I, I completely agree with that. And I think it sounds biblically uh, accurate as it can get. But at the end of the day, when I hear something like that and I think, ah, sounds good, but I'm never going to do that. <laughs> I just, I just don't, I, I, I can theologically, ideologically, I can accept that, but to live that out, I, I, I would lie to you and say, I could live that out. I, I don't think I've ever been able to be in that position where I feel like I'm doing this to serve the Lord. I, I have, I have once before and, um, I just don't think I'll ever have that mindset again when it comes to job. Yeah, well, I think also, too, that there is something about the way God wires us that it doesn't just serve him, it serves us as well. I yeah. Mean, so there's a, you know, take the light in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yeah. I read that to say he'll give you not what your heart desires, he'll give you the desires of your heart. In other words, he'll help fuel what your heart should desire. Hmm. When we take the light in him first, 
then we discover what the desires of our heart oh, are. Wow. And, and so it's, it's a way of saying, look, if my disposition is to serve God and my disposition is to act as a relevant leader or a servant leader or one that's saying, I'm not going to put my interests above others. I'm going to seek the, for the, the best of the company or the organization in a way that serves God. Then when somebody succeeds, that could be my new desire. Whereas my old desire was, I, I want to be recognized for my success. Hmm. Now my desire has been transformed because of that change. And it's to say, I can get excited when I see other people rise up and they do things. And yeah. I can say, hey, you know, in part, I can take some pride in that because they did it in part because I enabled it, right. but the attention isn't on me and I'm not getting it for that reason. Going back to something you just said about God giving you what your heart desires versus God mm -hmm. putting the desires in your heart or revealing them. I don't know how you said it, but that's something I have processed as long as I can remember being a Jesus follower. And I've struggled with that for so long, just trying to conceptually understand that. Yeah. And that, what you just said, <laughs> was so profound for me that I almost missed everything you said after that. <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, well, you can show, you can certainly dis discern that in your own life. When you look at the things that you desired before you grew up in the Lord, yeah. are they different now? You know, the, the, mm. your, the desires that you have, if you're maturing in Christ, should be different than the desires you had when you first met him. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I thought about that, the, the desires of my heart when I was 16, if God gave me the desires of my heart when I was 16, yeah. <laughs> that would have been bad, yeah. you know? I, <laughs> right, right. I would have had a new girlfriend every month. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, or worse. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I, was, yeah. I listened to what you just said, and ah, that was awesome. Great insight. Well, and then the other thing that I like about what he said was, was right at the end. He talked about the two things that he would tell himself. And the first one is we already talked about is, is that it's not about you, it's about other people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the second one, though, is, is he would have focused on self-development earlier. And, and I think that's really key. I mean, it, it's one of the things that I think I would have said to my younger self as well. Yeah. I would have said to my younger self, stop being so concerned about other people see you hmm. and, and, and just beat yourself, beat yesterday. Hmm. You know, look at ways in which yeah. you can become a better person or a better version of you. And that investment will, will change everything. Hmm. And so getting on a regular reading program, getting into, um, you know, finding ways to continually say, well, when was the last time I actually took a class on something, yeah. you know? Um, I think we get out of college and we think that's the end of learning, you know? <laughs> or at least formal learning. And we don't ever, you know, think about, okay, well, what, what could I sign up for that could help stimulate my growth? The funny thing is I think most people get out of college and all of a sudden they're like, oh man, I've never learned so much before. <laughs> yeah, it could be too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay, last point I want to cover real quick because we're, we're going way over. The title and the direction of his next book is what really stuck out to me. Mm -hmm. Leader of Leaders. Mm -hmm. One of the things I have, especially in a ministry setting, one of the things I've always struggled with is leadership, no matter how often it is talked about, how much it's taught on, how many training sessions they have. At the end of the day, what happens is that they take leaders and turn them into administrators. 
They don't put them in positions of leadership. They give them a leadership title and then make them administrators, right? They don't, they don't have the ability to make the type of decisions that they need to be making. They don't have the filtration process that they need to be able to make the decisions yep. themselves. There's so many things that's missing that really at the end of the day, you have glorified project managers or managers and you give them some director, VP, blah, blah, blah title. But they're none of those things because they're really they're just there to be administrator for the a uh, leader. Yeah. I love that book. Yeah. I yeah, wish I wrote it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're looking forward to seeing that when it comes out. And uh, you can find more about Ty. We'll have all the links in our show notes, which you'll find at boldideapodcast.com slash 93. Well, that's it. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, would you just leave us a comment at boldideapodcast.com slash 93? And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Well, that's it for today's episode. And uh, this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. We'll see you next time. And go out there, put your faith to work, and bring those bold ideas to life. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.